best way to explain is I'm a walking miracle in the sense that I'm actually alive. I mean, I pretty much died. <laughs> I died and came back alive. Being away from doing what you love to do, that was my fight. Like, that gave me you know, motivation every day to just want to get better and beat the illness. Welcome to the SC Featured Podcast. I'm Jen Latta. Ten years ago, the Houston Texans made history by drafting Amobi Okoye, 10th overall. At 19 years old, he became the youngest player ever selected, a distinction that still stands. Now, you might be wondering, how did a 19-year-old ever get drafted into the NFL in the first place? While Okoye was an elite talent athletically, he was also a prodigy when it came to academics. He graduated high school at 15 years old and selected Louisville over Harvard because he wanted to play for a strong football program. He graduated in three and a half years with a degree in psychology and started working on his master's degree during his senior football season. But as he was reaching his prime as an NFL player, his mind and body both came under attack. Michelle Beisner-Buck has more on how he's trying to resurrect a derailed career. Best way to explain is I'm a walking miracle in the sense that I'm actually alive. Amobi Okoye's journey is anything but typical. He migrated from Nigeria to America when he was 12. And when Amobi was just 19, he was drafted by the Texans. Amobi Okoye, defensive tackle, Louisville. Making a name for himself as a pass rusher, Okoye played six NFL seasons, four in Houston and two with Chicago. After he prepared for free agency with a workout on March 15, 2013, the unimaginable happened. I was training hard. I felt great. Like, I had no headache, no nothing. I was just sitting like this with you, with my dad and my best friend talking, and started foaming out the mouth and had a seizure. Amobi suffered multiple seizures and underwent countless tests before doctors diagnosed him with anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis. The best way I tend to explain it is a virus that attacks your brain receptors. So your body's kind of attacking itself. Exactly. To save his life, doctors took drastic measures, placing Amobi in a medically induced coma. For 12 weeks, he remained in intensive care. And for months after, he recovered in the hospital, his family always by his side, including his brother, Orinze, and his mother, Edna. Walking into the room every day, I just couldn't believe that was him hooked up to all these gadgets. Lying down there lifeless, you know, not moving a muscle. It was very, very hard. How close were you to dying? Whew. I mean, I pretty much died. <laughs> I died and came back alive. And that's what I see, because I was away for a period of time. When you finally emerged out of your coma, what do you remember? I just remember August 7th being the first time I was actually coherent and was like thinking it was still March 15th. I argued with the nurse that it was March 15th and she, they brought my phone to me and it was shocking. It was just like, what happened? 
The disease ravaged his body, and Amobi went from 306 to 218 pounds. It also stripped him of his motor skills, requiring Amobi to retrain his brain on everything. Things that just come naturally to you. you go from being a super athlete to, you know, learn everything from step one again. I had to learn all of that, like ABCs, one to threes, everything. Dr. Imo Isiku explains how Amobi was able to recover from such a devastating illness. His desire was never really diminished in any of that, and I think that's a large part of why he was able to improve so quickly. Him being able to go through something like this and maintain that desire perspective through rehab, his belief was, I want to go back to football. Being away from doing what you, what you love to do, that, that was my fight. Like, that gave me you know, motivation every day to just want to keep better and beat the illness. In 2014, one year out of his coma, Amobi was back and signed a contract with the Dallas Cowboys. But he practiced with the team for three weeks and never played it down. That Thanksgiving, his family organized a dinner to celebrate his remarkable recovery. And it was there he embraced all that he endured. This is the first time I've actually seen that video because I refused to see it. Laying in bed with all these wires and things attached to me, I'm like, God, I really didn't believe that was me. When you think about being back on the field, getting back to the game of football, what do you visualize? What do you see? I see everything. I see the practice. I see game days. I see the team memes, the meme rooms, all of that. Yeah, being around the fellas. One thing like I noticed about football is just like this, that accountability, that respect, and, and I think that's that's what I miss the most. So you're trying to get better. Just want to play one more snap. Not only did I beat this illness, I got back to doing what I love to do. And even if it doesn't happen, I'm still content. Because I'm a walking miracle. Was there ever a point that you that you stopped and you've said, why me? Oh yeah, several times. Till today is still the question why. But the uniqueness to my life. So at the end of the day, I just look at everything. as a, it only made me even more stronger. Still to come on the SC Featured Podcast. We'll have more of Amobi Okoye's in-depth interview on his remarkable recovery and drive to get back to the NFL. And just a reminder to you listeners, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and mark us as one of your favorites in the ESPN app. I just remember talking to my dad and next thing I know it's August 7th. That's it. Yeah. You don't have any memories at all from the from the point that you had the initial seizure until August 7th. That period of time, I don't remember anything. You're listening to the SC Featured Podcast. I'm Jen Latta. 
In part one, we brought you the story of former Texans and Bears defensive lineman Amobi Okoye and his comeback from encephalitis that nearly claimed his life. Here's more of Michelle Beisner Buck's sit-down conversation with Okoye. So at what point did you fall in love with the game of American football? I want to say it was months after I moved to the, to the States. So when I got out here first, I was in ROTC and choir. At a point in time, one of my best friends to today, then uh, he was in football. And our coach was a substitute for our homeroom, t- our homeroom teacher. And he saw me and was like, uh, you got some pretty good size on you. You should come play football. And so I told you I was an ROTC and choir, which at the time I kind of wanted to get out of. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't feeling that. <laughs> yeah. And so signing up for seven period athletics would get me out of that. And so that challenge, was it just all worked out. And so I was like, yeah, sign me up. I'll come out there and play football. As a matter of fact, I'll take your position. This is what I was telling my, my friend then. So when I went out there, he was playing wide receiver, and here comes this chubby kid to the coach saying, yeah, I want to play wide receiver too. And he was like, ah, go over there with those big guys. <laughs> <laughs> and so from there, I just, um, it, was, it, just started, it really started with a challenge. And from there, I just started loving the sport and the camaraderie and just all the things that, you know, as a young boy with so much energy, football is a way to drive all that energy into that. And so it was good. It was good for me. And at what point did you think, I think I can do something with this game of football and maybe play professionally? Yeah, so as I picked it up, you know, the love for it just instantly, like, grew on me. And then from there, I realized I could actually you know, get a scholarship and, you know, help my parents. I didn't know at a point in time, of course, financially, things, you know, we just moved to the States. My dad was doing everything in his power to raise his family. And uh, I wanted, of course, to, you know, go to college and, me being able to go play football and get a scholarship through that, I was like, okay, why not? So get better at this thing, and you actually like it, so why not? So it all just clicked and made sense. Uh, I want to say my first offer came from Georgia Tech my sophomore year, and from then on, all these other schools started becoming interested. My high school, we used to go to Louisville for uh, camps, full contact camps in the summer, and that's actually where I think the love for the sport kept on growing for me because I was away from my family. I was just with, you know, all my peers and just building this camaraderie. And from there, I was like, okay, get a scholarship. And I started getting all these offers, and uh, Louisville just made more sense to me because, like I said, we were going there for camp all the time. They had a good medical program there, and this is where I wanted to study. So I uh, signed with Louisville. Go Cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> I like that plug. That's good. What actually brought your family to the States? Uh, so prior to um, 96, 97, the economy in Nigeria just started getting real terrible. We had a dictatorship. Uh, our president then was a, was a militant. And things were just getting bad. And my dad, you know, he, he was already an American citizen because he uh, went to school here. After he finished, he moved back to Nigeria. And that's when he met my mom had us and was living in Nigeria. When things started getting really bad, all his friends would tell him to, you know, move out of the country and move back to the States. He said, this was this what he told us, which we kind of knew. He was being stubborn. He wanted to stay. And eventually he decided, hey, you know, this, this is getting too bad. So he moved first, then we joined him in 99. And uh, from there on, we've been uh, in the States. And so you get a scholarship. 
you're playing at Louisville because you wanted to study medicine. Mm -hmm. So you got to combine both things that you loved. Yeah, so I was a biology major at first. And um, coming my sophomore year, I started realizing my talent level. And I was just when I started watching NFL more, uh, I was like, I think I can, I, can, I can play in the pros. And my love for the game just kept on increasing. And so I felt like I had the talent. So I continued to perfect my craft in football and saw the opportunity to play pro and you know, took it head on. How old were you when you were drafted? I was 19. You were how old? 19. <laughs> Still the youngest <laughs> yeah. to ever be drafted in the NFL. Yeah, and uh, I hope, you know, we know, who I, we know how however long that record will hold, but um, yeah, they still got it for right now. You were drafted in what year? Uh, 2007. Yeah, okay, yeah, well, so, 10 years uh, and counting. Uh-huh. Ever since I got drafted by the Texans and moved out here and my family joined the next year, I just adopted Houston as home and I've claimed here as home. I want to retire in Houston. Tell me what draft day was like for you. It was a lot of nerves, for sure, for sure. Going into the draft, you know, you get all these speculations of where people think you're going to get drafted. At that time, at fourth was Tampa Bay. And at Senior Bowl, I had just practiced with the Buccaneers staff. And I performed real good. They liked it. They just kept on telling me, if you're there for we're going to take you. But as we all know with the draft, man, you never know until draft day comes because things happen. And uh, Bobby Petrino was the head coach in Atlanta at the time. He was sitting at eight, so I'm like, okay, my former head coach, they need a defensive tackle. More likely, if I still stay at eight, I'll be there. The Texans, I met with them during the combine, but they never made any promises. So I, I never thought they were going to draft me. And so when I got that call, it was just it was surprising. I was in shock, but I was happy. What was it like when you stepped on the field for the first time as a Houston Texan? Oh, man, it felt great. It was challenging because, uh, you know, I was so young and playing with a lot of grown men compared to college where, you know, there were people older than you, but you were dealing with the guys who actually have families and kids. And, yeah, I am at 19. So um, I remember the first snap in practice, not even the game, in practice, and I was like, okay, this is definitely different. The speed of the game is much different in the NFL than in college. Who took you under their wing in that locker room? Uh, Indy, Indy Kalu. Uh, he's also Nigerian. To this day, we're real good friends, and uh, he really took me under his wing. So your football career goes on, and when did you play your last game? So played four years with the Texans, two years with the Bears, and the last game was with the Bears in um, 2012 against uh, Minnesota. We had just finished the season 10-6, and six, and that was the, the best season I've had in my pro career, I just knew we were going to make the playoffs and somehow fell short of it. That would be my first time actually playing the playoffs and all. And uh, so that was the last time I played. And then 2013, after free agency, you're going through that. Yeah, so uh, after the 2012 season, I stayed in Chicago for another month just to train. And then uh, I came back to Houston, continued training. I started also taking this executive MBA course with George Washington University. It was a, a program they had kind of geared for pro athletes and as a, as a modules. So I had did the first module, came back home, and uh, was working out uh, with one of my best friends from college. 
and uh, him, my dad, and I were sitting down talking and um, had a seizure. So this was March 15th. So between March 15th of 2013, August 7th of 2013, I was ill and had a 26th birthday and don't remember it. That period of time, I don't remember anything. So we're going to dive into all of that, but specifically that day when you're working out with your best friend and your dad and you have this seizure, what kind of physical symptoms were you displaying? Tell me kind of what was happening. So nothing physically at all. Um, prior to that, like I said, I had, I had stayed in Chicago a month mm-hmm. and trained, came back to Houston and continued training. We were actually getting ready to take a trip to Miami that weekend just, you know, to cool off from training so hard for a couple of weeks and months. And um, I felt great. Like, I had no headache, no nothing. I was just sitting like this with you, with my dad and my best friend talking. And from what I was told, I was just, I guess, laying down on the floor and foaming out of the mouth. I don't remember that. I just remember talking to my dad. And next thing I know, it was August 7th. <laughs> That's it? Yeah. You don't have any memories at all? From the from the from point that you had the initial seizure until August 7th? That period of time, I don't remember anything. Before that, after that, yeah. Okay, so how did things progress after that initial seizure? I was taken to the hospital. They didn't know exactly what. They just gave me some, like, I guess some Tylenol or something like that, and just nothing major, and sent me back home. When I went home, I had another seizure at home. So they took me back to the hospital, and then from there, I stayed in, from hospital to hospital to hospital to hospital. How many seizures did you have before they checked you into the hospital long term? I don't know exactly how many. I want to say... I know it was more than three for sure. And what was the official diagnosis? Autoimmune encephalitis. What exactly is autoimmune encephalitis? Uh, The best way I tend to explain it is a virus that attacks your brain receptors. So your body's kind of attacking itself. Exactly. So you don't know what's going on. I have no clue. Just glad to be alive. (laughs) How rare is this disease? Very, very rare. Uh, that's why, like, I guess I was the first adult male. That's why they couldn't diagnose what it was. It's been seen in uh, females and uh, young girls, but I was, like, the first adult. That's why they couldn't figure what it was. They put you in a medically induced coma? Yeah, they had to do that because everything they were doing prior to that was all coming out. Negative, 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 negative. So they had to put me in induced coma to, I guess, suppress the brain and really, really diagnose or take more, take more risk trying to find out what it was. So how long were you in this medically induced coma? Three months. Yeah, the whole illness happened within a five-month period, and then three months of that was the induced coma. When you finally emerged out of your coma, what do you remember? I don't know exactly the date. I, I, date I came out of the coma. I just remember August seventh being the first time I was actually coherent and was like thinking it was still March fifteenth. What did they tell you about how you became susceptible to this very rare autoimmune disease? Did they tell you what caused it or how you? Mm-mm. I was pretty much elaborate because. <laughs> I was, I was kind of like a, the first case. What was the road to recovery like for you? I hated always going back to the hospital for the, uh, the speech therapy and occupational therapy, all the therapies. I just, it just got, it just got 
annoying. <laughs> but I knew I had to do it to, you know, get better. I had to I had to learn like ABCs, one, two, threes, like everything. Normal things I would always do like opposite arm, opposite leg. I was doing same arm, same leg instead of, you know, yeah. How difficult was that? It came back quick. It was just surprising to know that I had to do all of that again. Like things that just come natural to you. You go from being a super athlete to learn everything from step one again. You know, I think that anyone that goes through something like this has to find some sort of fight and will within them. Oh, yeah. I think for me, um, being away from doing what you, what you love to do, that was my fight. Like, that gave me you know, motivation every day to just want to get better because you're away from your love. Like, I picked up football and I loved it. And not being able to do it is just, that gave me the extra motivation to want to just better and beat the illness. How are you dealing with all of this from a mental standpoint? How are you dealing with this emotionally? It's, it's tough. It has its moments. I just think perseverance just keeps you going. Did you ever play the what-if game? What if I can't walk? What if I can't talk? What if I can't play football? Yeah, definitely. Definitely the what-if uh, comes on a lot. Like, you know, especially what if this, if, if this wouldn't ever happen? Like, what, what would life, what would be now? Like, I constantly just say, you know, what have you learned from it? You got to learn something from it. At the end of the day, it's has to something. You, you got to take something from it. What have you learned from it? A lot. Just patience. Patience and the the fact that what is meant to be is meant to be. Just it's giving you more perspective on life. Just understand that it's life. Like just don't stress much about things. Whatever happens is gonna happen. Like it's just some things you just can't control. So, at what point did you tell the doctors that you wanted to play football again? From the August 7th when I first woke up, like, I was trying to play that season. What did the doctors tell you when you said, hey, um, I'm ready to get out of here and go uh, hit hey, people? <laughs> slow down. Slow down. <laughs> the brain is, is not like an ankle. <laughs> right. What did they tell you about being able to play football again? Uh, one doctor, she didn't want me to go back at all. But majority of the doctors, they felt like I should be able to go back. And that's why I've been cleared since uh, August of 2014 to go back and play. And what was it like for you to get back into football shape? At the end of the day, as you age, it's harder. <laughs> and so also dealing with the brain illness makes it even harder. And so it's been quite the process, but I've been taking it as it comes. What do you do during your training sessions and your workouts? For everything, conditioning, weights, yeah, do it all. What was it like when you were signed to the Cowboys? It was cool. It was cool because Brian Marinelli's to today I feel like his best defensive line coach I've had in the pros, and uh, so being reacquainted with him because his motto is always you coach the man first, then the player. So he always treated you as a man first and a player. And that carried along with me ever since I met him in Chicago. And I've always liked that. And so when um, when he got the job in Dallas, even before the illness, he was already trying to get me out there because we always had this relationship. And so it was it was good. How close did you get to playing? I practiced with them for three weeks. 
but at that time, uh, I still had a, re a niche in my recovery, um, and so that's why they released me. And it was good. It was a good year to be around football, just even though I wasn't playing, just to be around the team and being around. It was good. It was it was good for me to my recovery process at the time because I was only a year out away from the from the illness. And that was 2014. Mm -hmm. So what is your health status today? All the way healthy. That chapter of your life is over. Yep. Would you change it? Would you remove that part of your journey? You know, I've thought about that a lot. I've thought about that a lot. And there's times where I've been like, I would rather not have it happen and just see how things would have panned out. And there's parts where, like, I'm glad it happened. Let's see how things are going to pan out. Like, it did happen for a reason. So let's, let's just, it's, it's, it's different. I've, I've, I've had different feelings on it as far as if it would have happened or if it wouldn't have happened. Like, I've, I've had mixed feelings on it, like, to today. When you go through something like this, you're always thinking. After everything you've been through and with how the NFL is so careful and cautious about brain disease and injuries especially, what makes you still want to play this game? I think it's just because of the way it happened, you know, in the sense of I wasn't concussed. I wasn't, like, I just out of nowhere. So if it would have been a concussion, if I had a history of concussion, then, I, like, I couldn't, you know, I, it would be a different take on it, you know. But the fact that it just happened out of nowhere makes you just want to wonder, like, what would happen if it never happened, you know. So if I were a GM of an NFL team, sell yourself to me. Tell me why we should take a chance on you. I think you should definitely take a chance on me uh, because the reason I'm out of football is nothing related to football illness, like an like a ACL or MCL or anything like that. This is just... Or a concussion. Or a, or or even a, it's not even a concussion. Like, I, you know, I, when I was playing, I had no concussions and just uh in a sense you know to, to give hope to other people like who go through things similar to this or if not the same that you can't go back to doing what you love to do regardless of what the circumstances or whatever you go through illness wise how are you going to feel if you don't get a chance to play in the nfl again i will still be content in the sense that i'm actually alive I tell people all the time, the best way to explain it is I'm a walking miracle. And um, if I don't get to play again, I'll, I'll still be content in the sense that I've I got six creative seasons. I actually got to, you know, do what I love to do for, you know, a period of time. And, and it just got cut short. That wraps up another edition of this SC Featured Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts and list us among your favorites in the ESPN app. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Jen Latta.